Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel, and welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the illogical obsession with logic with founder and CEO Andrew Padilla of DataSecu. Hey, Darren. Nice to be here. Hey, Andrew. Welcome. I'm, we've, we've spent some time talking over the last couple months about some really cool things that you're doing with DataSecu and just the, the development of data in the whole ecosystem in IT. It's... It's quite an undaunting task, and it's great to have uh, someone with a uh, new perspective, new eyes on things. So welcome. Well, thanks for that. I think it's, uh, it, it takes uh, two people to make a good synergistic conversation, so it's been great. Looking forward to that. Well, I, I appreciate it very much. So tell me a little bit about your, your title that you have here, Illogical Obsession with Logic. What's, what's the deal here? <laughs> well, it's based on my experience in the industry uh, over the past 20 years, I suppose, um, I guess you could say I started off in the software industry as a software developer, uh, but most of my focus over those 20 years has been on systems that address data concerns. And so what I've found over the years is that, um, especially over the last 10 years, is that we've exploded in our ability to be able to make uh, software visible, accessible, and usable, um, and portable, by the way, but if you look on the data side, I don't see as much of an advance on there. And so I have a theory about that as to why. So you're taking your, I, first off, software engineers, we rock. As you know, I'm a software engineer as well by trade, right? We can solve all the world's problems. I, I like how you've taken, hey, what have we done in software? We've done abstraction. We've done a lot of great things in software architecture. Why haven't we applied that to um, data architectures? So I, I love this concept. Precisely. So this was actually uh, the topic of our last conversation here, uh, where I was talking about kind of the contrast. You know, what is the same about software developers and, and data professionals and what's different? What are their concerns? And I, I think there, there is something there to think about uh, for both software professionals and data professionals. Um, on the software uh, engineer side, we're mostly concerned about the business logic and information hiding is a major concern. Ever since object-oriented programming became a thing, information hiding has been a big thing. And so uh, an extension of that would be, you know, have consistent interfaces and there's good reasons to do so because if you have a consistent interface, you're hiding the details. And so as software evolves and inevitably does, um, you're shielding yourself from those changes that occur. So it makes a lot of sense from a software professional's perspective. But then if you look on the other side, um, and, and software people usually see data as a byproduct, an output. And I think this is where, this is where it gets interesting. And, and so if you look at the data professionals, in my experience with hardcore data professionals, me riding the fence along the data professional track, they're more concerned about, you know, the outputs of the software and, you know, the data constructs, the context around them or the metadata, lineage of the data. And so if you look at lineage as an example, uh, lineage is nothing more than in certain cases than a construct that evolves over time. And that's something software people 
try to hide, but certainly the data folks will want to know these things. They want to know how things change over time because it gives you added perspective. It gives context and that's important to them. And well, that's really for- interesting because the software professionals, as you said, are trying to hide all that stuff. They are. Uh, because the more things change underneath them, the more variability I have in my system, um, the more bugs come out and all that stuff. So they've done everything they can to hide stuff. And the data engineers are like, no, I need that stuff. You know, I give right. it to me. So they're diametrically opposed in, in a lot of respects. They really are. And, and I think that this is where I think we could grow as an overall industry and in the infrastructure if we treat the development of data and metadata as its own discipline in its own respects, right? So not, not in the context of how we do software, but more in its own right. What are the concerns of data? What are the concerns of metadata? And then how do we build a composable infrastructure likewise or in a similar manner that we do for software, but not in a software context per se? Um, okay, go in a little bit more on this because this, this is a new concept. So it might be a little hard uh, to understand. So what do you mean by that? So for instance, uh, let's take an example of of how we're dealing with the metadata issue today in the enterprise. Um, and it's very popular today. We have these centralized metadata management systems, right? And, and the idea is that we want to know where all our data is, the, all the W's, the who, the where, the why, the how. And it's very much, if you think about it, it's a very much a software way to do things. You're, you want to um, be able to capture what people are doing in the different, different systems and, and you know, push it into a, into a centralized system. I think though, if you let data be its own, be able to grow in its own right versus software, we would adopt what software developers do, but in a data context. And I'll try to explain what, what I mean by that. So as a software developer, when I am developing uh, my software project, even if I'm in a large team or a small team, it, it doesn't really matter. It's really a personal endeavor, right? I'm developing that code based on my own experiences and what I've done in the past. And there may be some requirements related to that, but it's personal. Once I start contributing or commit to a greater whole, then you know it becomes a different animal, of course. But what we're asking the data and the uh, data curators and the data folks to do is to be able to take their knowledge, um, their subject matter expertise about relationships to data and push them all into a synchronized and centralized repository instead of allowing them to make their efforts a personal matter that then could be built upon into larger projects like we do with software. Um, and I talk about this uh, a little bit, or I will talk about this a little bit in, in the next slide. But essentially allow data developers to de- develop like we do in software, uh, because they're highly interrelated in my opinion, and allow them to be able to build and curate um, as a a private endeavor, but then be able to share those um, curations with others and thus building a larger ecosystem. So this reminds me of the major shift in configuration management in the 1990s and, and 2000s from a centralized everyone checked everything into one place into more distributed, like what we have with GitHub and with some of the more modern configuration management and even 
um, uh, processes around this. Everyone used to write big monolithic programs. Now everything is more compartmentalized and, and sharing happens more easily and more fluidly. So you're thinking the same concept for data as well. Right. And, and, I, and I think that they both share the same level of, levels of composition, the same equivalents. Um, but we haven't, we haven't necessarily had a plan uh, for data to develop it in its own right. Uh, we're really doing it in the context of software. And, and I think that's the mistake. So let's take a look at how this all kind of fits together then. Sure. And so this is what I was referring to. If we kind of step back and look at what is it that composes the software that we have today and then look at um, the equivalent side on the data end. Um, if you start on the very bottom, both data and software are almost identical. They share the same primitives, at least in the digital world, right? You have your same primitives that are there. And then as you move up the chain or up the stack, they have high ties or strong relationships between the two. We have algorithms on the software side. We have data structures that the algorithms operate on, uh, schemas that define those data structures and moving up uh, the composability chain. Uh, then we have libraries that are a collection of algorithms. On the data side, we can compose ontologies that are a collection of concepts or that could be represented as structures, et cetera. And then the relationships in between them. So that's a, another packaging of, of data. And then on the runtime side, for both sides, you know, we have applications that we deploy. And on the same, uh, in the same manner, we have pipelines in the data world, where, which is essentially another form of a control flow. So we have, we have control flows in applications and likewise we have for data as well. And uh, at the very top, I think this is where uh, it gets interesting because we need both these sides in order to make sense of the digital world that we've composed. And the digital knowledge that we have out there is highly dependent on both of these. But my argument is that we have the infrastructure, the machinery, as you, as you mentioned earlier, to really build out in the tooling, to build out the software side and deploy it and make it visible, accessible, usable. But for data, we don't really have anything per se. We have some things, but we don't think of it in the same way. No, we, we think of it as the old way, right? Where, where it's a big monolithic thing, right? right? I build it once and I use it. I, I've been talking to a lot of our customers. They have data scientists in-house They've done some really great analytics and AI and learning from their data and they do it in a silo and they do it once and then they're done. And then they're like, well, that was, we got valuable information out there, but it took a year. So they don't have this repeatable mechanism, right? And I love how you kind of draw the parallels between, hey, here are the primitives on software development. Look, we got the same things on the data side. Let's use similar techniques or processes to do this. And I love how you tied the data and the app together to give us real true knowledge at the top. I, I think that's a beautiful way to, of tying this all together in a nice, easy to understand um, package. Yeah, and I, I think it's just a matter of perspective. I think that, um, you know, once a perspective, this perspective is recognized by both the data and the software community, we can take a different approach to building out 
using actually the, the, the successes of software development and the tooling that they've used uh, for data, except with this in mind. So instead of applying the personal experiences and prejudices of software, where we're always thinking about, you know, how can we fit this into an algorithm? How can we do this? Then, then let's look at how data operates, how it's similar, but it has its own concerns. And I think uh, going back to an analogy, where we exist today is similar to, um, and this probably goes back to the first slide that we, ha we had shown here, is that, you know, it's almost like you're taking the family to, uh, to Disneyland, right? And you go and you take a visit and you have a number of experiences. And so those interactions really represent what software is. Software's dynamic. There's some kind of action imposed. And so those interactions create experiences and I would uh, draw that towards the data side of things. But imagine in the real world, if you had to check that experience at the door and when you went home, you knew nothing about it. And I think that's the problem that we have. Every time that we go to a different system, a different ecosystem, it could be just, it could be a single server, or it could be an enterprise. We reinvent the world, we create a new world for ourselves and we are unaware of the other worlds and we have to leave it at the door. And I think if we were able to share the experience or take the experience with us, we'd find we'd have a much more vibrant uh, knowledge infrastructure, essentially. Well, I love your analogy of Disneyland because I know I've been to Disneyland with you know my kids over the decades and we're a pro at it now. We hardly stand in line anymore, right? Because we know where to go at what time of the day right. and, and we know the app to bring up. So all that experience that we've had by going it makes our experience now when we go now even better, right? So I love how, how you draw those together without the data and the experience of working with the data in conjunction with the application. It's almost like we're starting from scratch every time. It is. Um, and with it, that means we can move more rapidly and get better experience, right? Better data, better knowledge out of, out of um, the data that uh, we're and combining with the application itself. Yep. And it's a snowball effect. And if you look at many of the problems, I, I can't, my background, my, the vertical I was primarily in was healthcare. So you can imagine all the problems that we talk about there. And, you know, it, it's interesting because my healthcare integration uh, counterparts, they essentially would go into the business and have to learn all this uh, experience from scratch and then create an integration. And then two years later, they may, somebody else may have to do it again. So there is an amnesia that's going on all the time. And that's, it's not just in healthcare, it's everywhere. You know, yeah. why do we have so many notions of a person in terms of modeling? You know, <laughs> yeah, that is so true. <laughs> yeah, why? And, and, and that may be okay because context matters, but why can't we see the different variants of a person and then be able to map? I think that's what we were talking about the, the, this idea from ThoughtWorks about the data mesh, you know, they're saying in a, uh, in the DDD paradigm, it's okay to have these slightly different notions of the same concept. It's a mapping operation, right? So if you're aware of them, it's okay to have more than one, but to be able to have the mapping amongst one, two, three, or 10, then you're better off because you have the relationships there and you can move forward with any different types of use cases that you'd like. So long as you have the visibility of that, which we don't. Right. I think this is really, I love the analogy or, or the, the use case of just a person definition. 
we know right now there's a big, huge effort in at the VA for um, consolidating all the different electronic health records into, into one system. Um, the VA is one of the largest uh, health care organizations in the world. And they have several different systems that a person or a patient means something different in each one. This yeah. is amazing to me, right? Because they're all using the same underlying system. But I, I love your idea of the mapping is where things could change, right? Um, but having that common, we go back to, hey, everything needs to be A, and people want, well, I have B, C, and D over here. Why not somehow use the same concepts that we do in software development to, to get reusability? I, I think it's a, a great concept here. And, and you were mentioning earlier, I think, in, in one of our conversations that, you know, we've really achieved um, how to operationalize effectively logic, right? We're doing that with Kubernetes now, microservices. But it's funny because one of the big gaps still in Kubernetes today is it doesn't address data. And, and it's, it, nor should it. But there's a wide gaping hole because there is no equivalent to a Kubernetes for, for data, right? Really, there are... No, there isn't. There's a stopgap measure. I mean, there's, you know, people typically now say, okay, S3 is the answer, but it's not really the answer. S3, S3 just is a, a bucket, right? It's a right. bucket of stuff. And we, we can do better than that, right? Because, yeah, I, in fact, I talked to one of the founders of Kubernetes and I asked him specifically about the data management side of this. And he goes, man, we're not going to do it. It's too difficult outside of our scope, which, you know what? I appreciated him for saying that because if they tackled this as well as container management and service orchestration, that would have been a tough nut to crack all of it at once. So, but no one else has really addressed it in the same manner. So, um, hey, there's a great idea for someone that has, you know, some, um, some capital, a great startup idea, go chase that because that's a, that's a big need across all industries. It's funny you should mention that because it's not actually just theoretical for me. I do think about this a lot, but I am working on, on such an idea that would be the embodiment of, of, of this talk. So yeah, and I'm looking forward to collaborate with others because there's a certain part of this Although as, as an organization, of course, I want to add value to my company, but there's a certain part of this that's a commonality. Um, and that actually goes back to the name of my company, if I can give a little description of that. So absolutely, please do. I live in New Mexico, and in New Mexico, there's this thing called an acequia. And acequia is nothing, really nothing more than an irrigation ditch. And so many years ago, when they tried to make the lands fertile in New Mexico, because obviously it's very arid, they, out of necessity, they had to uh, collaborate in this oldest form of commons, at least in New Mexico, on these irrigation dishes, ditches in terms of being able to manage them, um, to be able to clean them, etc. So you could think of it as curation. Nobody owned it. They did it out of necessity because they had to make fertile lands out of otherwise very arid lands. So it was a necessity. I see a kind of another analogy to, to the data world, because it's also a very inhospitable environment. Typically budgets aren't, well, at least until recently, aren't thrown at it, right? And so you have to make do, and you have to be able to collaborate 
um, in this common environment for the better of, of the insight that you want to produce. So the, there's my story on the, on the company. I, I love the name because I, I think uh, it addresses really what the, the problem is, is who owns the data always becomes a problem and sharing the data. And what you're saying is, no, we need to be able to have a way of collaborating on data more effectively uh, where ownership may be in question. Uh, which I kind of like, I like that because it's more of a community feel on data curation, which right. is it, pretty cool. Yeah. In fact, we, there are some examples of that again, back in software. If you look at Git, you know, I can, I can fork a repository, right? You may own that repository. You may have the master copy on GitHub, but I'm free to make changes as I see fit. It only affects me. It doesn't affect you. Now, if we, decide to collaborate, I may submit a, uh, a PR and you receive it. If you choose to accept it, there's a form of governance there, but it allows us both to co-create, but uh, be able to agree on a common goal if we choose to. And so you can accept my changes, then we move forward. I think something like that would be very advantageous for data. And again, drawing on some of the paradigms that we've developed and proven to work well in software, that would be a, a good one to start with. No, oh, I, I like that concept. And even if you carry that a little bit further, let's say you, um, I own the repository, you have a fork and you're like, well, Darren's not taking my pull requests. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head in a different direction. You can go ahead and head in a different direction and create a community yourself that's built around what, you're, what you need, but you still have a foundation back on my original po- repository. So there's lineage, there's all, oh, it's, it's, it's really a beautiful um, technique that we could use in the data, uh, data world. Absolutely. If you go back to a simple use case like reference data for, from standards, et cetera, imagine if you could fork off the data sets where it's not really owned in any central repository uh, per se. You could manage that yourself and you could, you know, evolve it for your own means. And if there is a change in this, central repository that's managed by a standards body, you can incorporate those changes immediately, or you could choose not to. It's up to you. But you have that linkage back to the original source. You have that lineage back. And I think also that's, that's missing and that's important. And you could take that even a step further. Um, most of our software and data projects are composed of um, works or entities that fall outside the organization. So I think that's where we fall short in the enterprise. We want to, uh, perform metadata management in the enterprise, but that's still short of the goal because the enterprise is largely composed of assets that fall outside of the enterprise. And so how do you keep track of those? Today, once we make a copy of it, it stands still in time. So somebody has to manually manage when those updates occur. So it's not like, as I was mentioning earlier, it's not like our enterprise is like a spreadsheet. I have a formula that I created, but it's dependent on a number of other cells. And as soon as those change, if I choose to accept them, then all of a sudden I've got a new environment. So that kind of goes back to Kubernetes and, and, and doing, uh, <laughs> doing updates, et cetera, but it's the data version of it. Right, so exactly. So thing would be awesome. Well, hey, this has been great, Andrew. We just, we just touched the tip of the iceberg on uh, what we see as a fundamental change that's happening in industry. And uh, it's great to talk uh, to a thought leader like yourself. And um, for those of you that are interested in Andrew and finding out more about him, check out uh, their website on DataSecia. That's D-A-T-A-C-E-Q-U-I-A dot com. 
Uh, again, th Andrew, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you liked our episode, go ahead and give us five stars on your favorite podcast or video streaming site. You can also find out more on embracingdigital.com. Until next time, keep moving forward and embrace the digital revolution.